0: Uh, I'm Isaac. My pronouns are he and him.
1: My name is Donna. I use she and her pronouns.
2: And my name is Maria Chavalanzut. And my name is Maria
0: Chavalansut. Last time we were talking a lot about sort of setting up the the story and some of our own background, mm-hmm. but instead of a long intro today, I just want to jump right into the text. So I want to start at verse 6 after uh Naomi's sons have died and we see this scene where um Naomi tries to say goodbye to Orpa and Ruth so um Maria I remember at the end of our Maria I remember la- last time at the end of our discussion that you mentioned that a uh if two women lost their husbands like this that in your culture they would be allowed to return to their families and try to find new husbands. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: buenas tardes a todos.
0: Yes,
2: good afternoon, everybody. And, and, and this is is in regards to Ruth and her um, mother-in-law and the two uh, daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law that didn't have their um, husbands that she said that she since she doesn't have her children that they should go on to have their own lives in the in their towns, so one of them decides to go and then the other one decides to stay with the mother in law
0: yeah, so I think that it's easy to maybe cast judgment upon Orpa for not going with Naomi, but it actually, it actually doesn't make sense that Ruth would go with Naomi. The logical thing to do is to stay in Moab and try to start over again. So Orpah is making a very you know, reasonable decision, and it's Ruth who's making the decision that puts her in a very vulnerable position to go with Naomi. Um, and Naomi sort of lays out all the reasons why it's a bad decision. So, I guess the question we have to ask here is why does Ruth want to stay with Naomi?
1: Naomi, no, it's Ruth.
2: It's not Naomi, it's, it's Ruth that gave her the option to do a new life. They're young and they can remarry. Uh huh. In those times, the custom was if the husbands died, if there were any brothers, those women could marry the brothers. But they didn't have any brothers, so uh, Ruth gave her the option of of going to live their own lives.
0: So I think that there are a lot of names floating around, so it can be a little confusing. But So Ruth is the daughter-in-law who just lost her husband. And Naomi is the mother in law who tells Ruth to, to go home, to remain with her people. So we can, um, part of that is because Naomi is a part of the Jewish people and she's going to go home to Bethlehem where she was born and leave the country where Ruth and Orpah have, where they met Naomi and her sons. So when, Orpah goes back, she's staying amongst her kin and amongst her people. She's going back to her her customs and her religion there. But when Ruth goes with Naomi, she's leaving all of that behind. She's leaving her Moabite heritage behind and accepting this Naomi's people and her religion and her land as her own. So the question is why would she renounce everything that you know she like basically her ancestry and her heritage and all of that to go with Naomi especially when Naomi says I don't want you to do this. Donna, what do you think when you read this? What what do you think is motivating Ruth?
3: You know, I I just assume that um she has some attachment to Naomi. Um as her family, you know, they don't, the, the author doesn't put a lot of emphasis on the relationship between the women and their husbands. So for me, I just assume that she, you know, loved her husband very much and through that union with him, loved her. Marital family, you know, and felt a strong attachment to them. I, I honestly can't imagine any other reason to go with your mother in law um, to a foreign land. I, I don't know that I would do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so she does, Naomi does say, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That's basically about as much detail as we get about the nature of their relationship. Right. Like, you know, you show kindness to my sons and you show kindness to me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when it's still not clear that Naomi feels great about these two women as they're like, as they're partying, like she's being respectful, but she, there's also this ambiguity where it kind of seems like maybe Naomi blames them for the death of her sons. You know, she says, God has turned their hand against me. And we talked last time about the uh, command of God and in, in scripture not to marry Moabites. Naomi has this line where she says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me because of you. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite clear if she means my sons died because they married you, or if she means being around you is still causing me this pain or what, but... While Ruth has this love for Naomi, it's not clear that she re- that Naomi returns that in any way in this in this bit. She says, and we see that in the fact that when Ruth makes this big commitment to her, then Naomi doesn't respond. She just says, you know, they just go on. They walk together.
3: I imagine that uh, Naomi, you know, uh, has you know has inherited this prejudice towards Moabites. Um, and that even as her own sons were able to form unions with these Moabite women, that, you know, maybe somewhere deep inside, Naomi didn't necessarily agree with with those unions.
0: Yeah, we don't really know what role or what choice she would have had in the decision to go to Mo- Moab in the first place. You know, Elimelech. Um, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways their hands were forced, right, by the famine. But even, um, I, mean, I mean, it's hard to imagine that either one of them would have been excited about going to Moab because of what we know about their relationship with those people. But still, Elimelech was probably, had the right to make the final decision. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. ¿Puedo decir algo? Mm-hmm. Sí. Yeah. Mm. Respecto a, a Ruth. In
2: respect to Ruth, compared to my situation, I left my village, so I, and I've always known two religions.
1: Pues, uh, mi mamá siempre,
2: um, You know, so so my mom would seek equal help from the Catholic Church as much as people who are considered witches, but are sort of spiritual guides. But that was the knowledge that my grandparents had. Yeah, and and the Spanish didn't really try to get to the bottom of of that religious. Practice, Solo
1: hablaron
2: the religion. <laughs> They would just speak ill of it. Like there is this, they they just have this conception that you know the spirit is either white or black. You have a spirit that dominates in the day. You have a spirit that dominates at night. And well, my mom needed help with um, taking care of uh, curing an illness of her son, but there was no pastor, nobody in the church who could really take care of her. Uh, And my mom would try to seek help from these uh, spiritual guides, but um, it wasn't necessarily good.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so she would, but she would try to find help from a good spiritual guide to seek help for my little brother. And so we believe in these religions because there were, there's Catholic religions and, you know, even even evangelists at that time too. But we still praise the same God. And I came from, I left the village to come to the city many, many years ago. So, if I were to have a mother in law like Noemi, who was telling me to go back to where I came from, uh, then my life wouldn't have been anything at all like my cousins live. Life is very hard. They're under very strict uh, rule that goes back many years. So, I would do what Ruth did. I would try to look forward.
0: When you talk about leaving your village, what um, do you feel like that? after that point that you were less connected to the traditions of your family and, and more involved in like Catholicism after that point? Or did you try to keep both traditions going when you lived in the city?
1: <laughs>
2: I still practice both today. I praise the nature. I praise the, the, the warm air, the cold air. God is present in everything. You can feel it in the air in yeah. every moment. Uh, that was not taught in the Catholic church. I would have to go to like one of these temples and that's where I learned that God is everywhere. And so I still have that knowledge and it's very good knowledge. Uh, uh, I don't know enough about the Catholic church or I haven't read enough of the Bible to know whether or not it has anything like in uh, Mayan religion um, that is about this idea of the white and black uh, existing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Or maybe yes, they talk about the devil uh, like in Mayan, they talk about the underworld, which dominates the evil, and but the most people go for the good.
0: Mm-hmm. Maria, I think that one of the things that strikes me about Ruth and Naomi is that because of Ruth's choice, they they find a way to continue uh, Elimelech's family. Like it, if Ruth if Ruth didn't make this choice then you know Naomi would be on her own when she returned back to her homeland she would be by herself she'd be very vulnerable and so in some ways Ruth's choice even though it's not something that Naomi welcomes you know brings the possibility of of new life into this family and i think that in a lot of ways i think that you know what we've seen here at the church through sanctuary has been something similar where these different people donna you and me sitting here at this table all kind of chose one another without knowing anything about each other uh in order that you might you know be in sanctuary here but it, we all had to kind of make the same commitment to each other of no turning back whatever whatever it takes we're now together in this struggle for you to live safely at the church and for you to to win your case and and seek asylum here. And and I I think that in some ways mm-hmm. that's I see our relationship and this commitment that Naomi and Ruth make to one another.
2: So I always think that God is the one that triumphs over us. Like he, he chooses events in our lives. Mm-hmm. He puts these tests in front of you and he still guides you in the correct path to get to the outcome that he wants.
0: I think also for the, um, just kind of thinking about the biblical nature of all this, Christians have often tried to read themselves as the Jewish people in texts where there aren't explicitly Christians involved, so especially in the Old Testament, If there was a Jewish character, they would think, oh, well, that's the person that I'm supposed to identify with. And there's a long history of racism and colonialism behind that idea, (laughs) going back to the founding of America, thinking that this is like a new Israel being founded, language that the Puritans definitely invoked in a lot of ways. But the characters that we're supposed to be identifying with in this is Ruth. We are outsiders to this covenant that God has made with the Jewish people, the people of Judah, and we're the ones who have no natural way into that. And so, in some ways, this text, if Christians are listening to this and thinking, oh, well, what would I do if I were Naomi? The question is, what would you do if you were Ruth? (laughs) Because... Ruth has no part in the story of David or Jesus later. Just like Gentiles have no part in that story either. It's a it's a covenant made with pretty firm boundaries. And yet what creates that link in this story is the same thing that you know creates, thinking about this textually, sort of the entirety of the Bible, which is that length of Ruth's love for Naomi. Ruth's love for that tradition that's what draws this entire text that we call the Bible together, but it's also I think what brings us into that into that relationship that God has with you know the this tribe of people that's what Christ sort of motivates him to open that door for us but it's a it's a necessary reminder that to be a gentile to be a non-jew is to be an outsider to these texts and to see and read ourselves in these places as those who are a question to the text you know Ruth's presence through in Bethlehem throughout the rest of the text is a question like what are we going to do with this Moabite who's here and the entire history of the new testament is the question of What are we going to do with these Gentiles who want to follow Jesus? You know, what do they have to circumcise themselves or do they have to follow these food restrictions or anything else? So I think in some ways, this story is an encapsulation and a lot of the questions around, um, that fundamental relationship between the God of Israel and Jesus and people who are not a part of that original promise.
3: Uh, yeah, this is uh absurd. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I I think um I'm here with you all, you know, but you know my my mind is just in other places a little bit. You know, you know, I'm struggling to be present right now. I think, you know, for context for a lot of people, there's you know, one of um the most major uprisings happening around the world right now in response to yet another um, black person murdered at the hands of the police and a few years ago with the onset of the Black Lives Matter movement um, in response to the vigilante murder of Trayvon Martin and then um, subsequent police murders of people like Sandra Bland and you know um Mike Brown there's been a lot of work by white anti-racist groups to help white people understand their complicity in these systems that allow for these murders not even just allow for the murders but um it, you know encourage them and expect them and you know um and, uh, you know, one of the sort of lessons that you white want people are supposed lectures. to learn about themselves is, um, you know, about, you know, their privilege and how these systems of oppression center their comfort, center their wealth, you know, um, center their status um, in the world. And um, <laughs> just to hear Isaac say that You know, in the history that's told by the Bible, that it was white people who were trying to find some way into how God-centered other people (laughs) as His chosen ones. It just feels really absurd to me. (laughs) Just having a really hard time. (laughs) Not, you know, just wrapping my mind around that. I, I, I never heard the, you know, the the Bible contextualized in that way until just now, Isaac. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just my um, knee-jerk reaction to what you just said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that uh, I feel like probably most Christians have never encountered that either because they're used to being told that um, they're at, you know, why Christians have like gone out of their way and we see this still with evangelicals right to try to glom themselves on to israel in in a way that allows them to claim that you know they've replaced them or something in this story and but you know if, if you dig into the text of jesus but also i mean even just the stuff that comes after the gospels in the new testament the whole thing is like about this central conflict of will we let non jews enter into this story and what are the terms and conditions under which that can happen. And, you know, changing that to where it becomes white people saying, will we let non white people into this story <laughs> has been the history of the last, you know, 600 years of biblical interpretation. But I think that, you know, some of what trying to encounter this in an, in an authentic way is to say, you know, amongst the, these this group, the, these groups of people that are in this text, non-Jewish, Gentile, or members of the tribe of Judah, that is the natural place where Christians should be like seeing the place where they fit in. And it's absolutely certainly not been that. No. It's not happened that way at all. Hmm. So the absurdity you feel, completely justified. I don't know if Blair wants to jump at anything to that or do you have a follow-up to me about it.
1: Or Maria. Sí, Mm -hmm. pues um, la religión mm, es una como una palabra, no?
2: Religion (laughs) is kind of like a word, but from then on, uh, humans make their own choices to make their own definitions for their own groups. Mm -hmm. So, for each one of us, doesn't matter what we do. Perdona, repite lo último. It's easy for them to say that they belong to a religion. It's easy to speak with your tongue, but to do the things, that's the thing that's hard for everybody. So we are told from the beginning that the Mayan religion, we have an altar in the mountains. And, you know, that's a place that's meant only for prayer. The true temple is oneself. and How are you using God's temple? And those who came to America, I don't know how many years ago, they they came in the name of religion, but they destroyed the two temples, which was the bodies of the people. Mhm. That's what they did with the people they killed. They destroyed a temple. God had a purpose for the, for that person. You've given me lodging in this church and you've supported me. You gave me permission to be at your church. And you know, and within within me and within everybody there's a spirit. So if you so that means that if you are taking care of another human being, you are taking care of the true temple of God.
3: Mhm. I am um renounce my membership to the the United Methodist Church, and I'm following the Church of Maria from now on.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) yo. Es que hay que creer en algo.
2: You have to believe in something because, you know, an individual's own beliefs you know, might not have any rules. So, you know, sometimes you just have to believe in God. Don't just renounce. You have to add to your knowledge.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay.
0: <laughs> uh Maria, with a devastating critique of Kant and his uh, understanding of our ability to give ourselves moral judgment. <laughs> we should just do... A whole podcast where we let Maria read Western philosophy and then take it apart in like two sentences. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I so Donna though I want to go back to what you to what you said because you brought up some really important context for what's going on in the world right now and what it's teaching us about community. Because I think what what we're seeing happen is a fundamental challenging about who is at the center of American life, but also. You know, it's a global uprising as well. So I don't want to like, you know, erase that reality, but can you just talk about what you've seen in the last week? How that, like, what's that, what that's telling you about that decentering work or, or alternative models that you've seen in the streets in Charlottesville or Richmond in the last week that, you know, is maybe disturbing some of the waters of, American life right now in an important way.
3: I th- I think that you know for me uh, there's a lot of excitement, and I think for most people in the world there's a lot of excitement um, seeing uh, the demonstrations of our ability as everyday people to defy together what we all. Know is, you know, or are oppressive forces in our world right now. You know, I think the thing that excites me the most personally is um, the the spontaneity of people going out together into the streets to express outrage and and to be able to. Collaborate with each other on the various ways that any of us might feel is a legitimate way to respond to the anger that we all feel. Obviously, hegemony is such that it's hard for some of us, even as we might feel that, you know, those unified, that a a unified sense of of outrage about a police murder of another Black person, you know, what what we've been seeing in in the days following the initial uprising in Minneapolis is people then getting uncomfortable with some of those expressions of outrage, particularly the ones that involve property destruction. And I'm really... Hopeful, always that that push and pull that we're feeling right now, you know, feeling this need to define the right way to protest versus the wrong way to protest. The, the that that's the these are these tensions are necessary because we've all been so um, the 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 oppressive nature of the state. You know, we're all so it's so deeply ingrained. In our bodies and in our psyches, it's all been so normalized for us that it's really hard for us to imagine what it looks like on the other side of destroying those forces. And, you know, I think it's really easy for a lot of people to latch on to a philosophy of destroying oppression, but it, it's hard for them to then understand that we have to move past that rhetoric and we have to do actual destruction (laughs) (laughs) um that you know because the the oppression doesn't go away if the banks still stand it doesn't go away if the corporations still stand the oppression doesn't go away if the police stations still stand you know and so many of the things that Maria has revealed to us in our conversations with her the last couple of days in discussing the book of Ruth, for me, it it shows what the possibilities are and that those possibilities actually exist. We just don't necessarily know about them, you know, because too few of us grew up with the understanding that Maria was raised with in her family and her community about our connectedness to the earth and to each other and the care that we have to have for each of those things of God being in us and in our bodies being the temples. Um, (laughs) You know, Maria has um, brought me to tears so many times in these discussions, just in sadness for myself that, you know, I, that I wasn't raised with that understanding, you know, and that's, and, you know, and these things that she was raised with, that's the world that I want to see. That's the life that I want to have for myself. And that's what I wish for everyone, you know, to, to have that connectedness um, to the earth and to each other and to caring for everything and everyone around us. And and for me, that's what I'm fighting for, you know, and, and I hope that, you know, out of this tension, you know, that we're able... To hold each other in those tensions and sit together in those tensions, so that we can move past it, and we can remember that it's the connection between each of us and to this earth that we are, that we all stand on, and that that's more important than a broken window, you know, or a smashed police car, you know, a CVS or a Target burning down, you know, and I, I don't have any reason to. Doubt that we can move past that, you know. When Maria says that you know, God is in everything and it's in all of us, and we are our own temple, I believe that, and I think that there's a way for all of us to connect back to it because it is in there, you know. Um, and so you know, I'm really grateful for these conversations because it's you know, while I'm out in the street with our people and with my comrades, you know, supporting this movement to the best of my ability, you know, it's hard and um, it takes a toll on the body and on the mind. And, you know, this conversation today and the one that we had last week is really fortifying. And I hope that other people who may listen to these conversations, you know, may find some strength in them also because this is a you know this is what we call a protracted war <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, it just, it's not going to go away in a week or two weeks or three weeks and um you know um and we have to be able to find ways to fortify our, ourselves and i think that the best way is you know th- through our relationships with each other so thank you all see sí.
1: pues, with um
2: For me in this place, I was brought here by a dream, not just any dream. That told me that a dream that told me that there was a lot of war here. Many soldiers died, but that within them, they all love their children, that there is love. And so I think that when within all of us, there is love, that's all the happiness that one needs. And then afterwards, you know, I was in detention and I was going through a lot of physical and emotional pain. I don't know if it was a dream or if I really saw it. I, I you know, Jesus arrived. I think it was a, must have been a dream. And he asked me if I needed any food. I said no. He asked me if I'm cold. He said no. So then he told me to be patient. Uh, there, there, I would reach a place where, the, where people have a lot of love. And they may not have children, but they had a lot of animals. But they do have a lot of love within them. And well, back in Guatemala, the, the dogs and the cats, we don't give them a lot of attention. We pay more attention to humans, but that's where I learned, you know, that love has to be for humans and for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Donna, one of the things that what you said that brought up, that made me think of is just one of the things that I've kind of been thinking about in after the demonstration in Charlottesville on Saturday and seeing some of the things you said about Richmond. I think in a lot of ways the the boundaries that divide people in the United States are being challenged in in so many ways by what's currently happening, but it, it's a reminder of just how intensely, you know, separated from each other we are, where the thing that makes people so upset about these protests or something is that like oh the place where they shop is being you know destroyed or or graffitied or looted or whatever when when that's like i think to me it it just shows how cut off from community we really are when that's the thing that makes people so angry that they want to delegitimize the cause of folks who are standing up against police violence but on some level it, that's the thing that triggers that reaction so deeply because they like community is so absent from people's lives in this country
3: yeah
0: and and on purpose you know like this is kind of a you know very far above the text reading but you know the this conversation between Naomi and Ruth like this joining that they have people in in America have been told and it's been legislated into their bodies like you said that You're not supposed to kin yourself to someone from, you know, another people. You're not supposed to redraw the lines of solidarity outside of your race or your class or, you know, God has told me not to associate with this type of person. I mean, that's a reality for so many people in this country. And I think it's at the heart of what you said about the way we were raised in in the United States, is with all these divisions sort of sewn into the fabric of our lives that the only thing that does concern us is like, you know, the fucking pieces of property that that are kind of the only public places where we encounter people that are like, I don't know, like even when we do encounter people that are not like us, it's typically only in like the context of consumerism. And yet. What we see in the streets is so different from that. I mean, it's the Naomi and Ruth thing, but it goes back to community defense and, and this notion of like people coming together to keep each other safe. But I don't, I don't know if a lot of people have even ever heard of something like that idea. So can you talk about what, you know, when we gather to demonstrate Last Saturday, you know, what was the guiding principle there? Because if it's not this anger, like so many people probably assume, then what is guiding? What is the guiding principle of that?
3: Um, I think that I would like to step away from answering that question, just because um, I wasn't one of the organizers for that uh, event, and so I don't want to speak for people who aren't in the room. You know, I I showed up um, in support and um and did a lot of support work both you know at the event and and before and after but i didn't i didn't do the uh, any of the decision making um but i think a way to answer that question if it's okay with you is to talk about the experience that i had coming to this church for the first time to you know try to convince the church to allow Maria to come.
0: Yeah, please talk about it.
3: (laughs) I have come to love this church very much. And the people that I've met here, um, the feelings that I have about it now are very different from the first time I was here. (laughs) And, you know, Isaac and I have talked about it on multiple occasions prior to today. There was that same tension there in the room with the people of the church who were there to help, you, Isaac, make the decision about whether or not to say yes to Maria um, coming here for sanctuary. And there were people in the room who, you know, were having a really difficult time imagining that they could open the doors of the church to an outsider. And I don't have any reason to believe that any of that was completely divorced from the idea that Maria, who was coming here, wasn't part of this community at the time, didn't look like the majority of the people who are congregants here, that there were those implicit biases at work. I mean they're they're in all of us, right? And and especially in any group of people whose whose makeup is, you know, largely white. And I think for many of us who on that day were also outsiders to this church, you know, um, walking through the doors determined to um, convince the church to say yes, the, the tactic that I think was most important was to convince everybody in the room who had the power to make the decision that they are a part of a larger community, that there are people beyond the walls of the church who are their community too, even if before that day they never recognized that. And to draw on those Connections that we have each, with each other as people who live in Charlottesville, people who you know are committed to caring for other people, people who um, want a world where you know immigrants don't have to fear that you know they 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 won't be welcomed with hospitality and with open arms, you know. And so, yeah, we on, on that day we really had to keep reinforcing the idea that. Yes the the you know the building and this property you know belongs to this congregation um but this congregation is lo- part of a larger community and there are people mm-hmm. who are coming in from outside of these walls to say we're here with you and you can do this and we know the kind of people that you want to be and that you tell yourselves you are and we're going to help you actually be those people you know that we we have the ability together to do this, you know, to save this woman's life, to save this family's life, you know, to create a space where we can all um, be in communion with each other, to to understand what the needs are of Maria and her family, but beyond that, anybody like Maria or her family, you know, who experience the brunt of the oppressive and violent forces of a white supremacist settler colonial state. And, you know, and and that was the challenge for those of us who were not going to allow anybody to leave that room without saying yes to Maria.
1: (laughs)
2: well it was a similar experience for me to when I decided to come take refuge in the church because in 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 my country all of the churches it's a sacred place but in this country things are, are really hard so you know w- there's always going to be a difference between each person the human beings are are very good at seeing the qualities of those who are next to them but not to themselves um, people will classify each other this person's tall this person's short they'll see it they'll see that in all everywhere. But I told myself, may God just take me where he needs to take me. I know that in this country, there are also people who are, how do you say, indigenous of this country. And I just kept telling myself, may God just guide me to wherever he needs to guide me. And for, for me to learn, you know, that this we have this fear that started, you know, many years ago in our people. Uh, you know, because the the evil that was seen 400, five hundred years ago, it's not it's not at that level right now. And I, but I, I just kept telling God to guide me to where He needs to guide me. So, and here I am,
0: <laughs> Maria. How have you seen the community around you here change while you've been here from the beginning to now?
1: Uh, la comunidad que ya existía solo era de ver cómo actuaban. Cada
2: uno. Well, the community already existed. It was just a matter for me to see how people um, acted, each of them. So I just observed, you know, the way that the people behaved as a group and, and learned that, you know, and saw that the way that we all acted as a group together.
0: I think there's also some things to pull out and this story in the words of Naomi about the way that when, when they get back, you know, her name, as we're told at the beginning, Naomi means sweetness. But even after this community has formed with, with Ruth and Naomi and they journey back to Bethlehem, she renames herself when they arrive and back in her home, Mara, which means bitterness. And she says, um, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And I think that uh I think it's important to sort of name that, like, even in this sort of um forming of new community and this stuff that we're seeing in in our nation right now, that there is a lot of of joy. It's also, you know, at the same time, a time of mourning and a time of bitterness. And One of the things that I like about this story is that it doesn't shy away from Naomi and Ruth existing together, like journeying together in that same space with both emotions taking place. Like Ruth's commitment, her like vow almost. I mean, this it's, you know, people use this sometimes as wedding vows because it, you know, what Ruth says Mm -hmm. to Naomi is so powerful, but Naomi's response to that is to say, I'm empty there's nothing that's filling me, not even this like love that I'm getting from my daughter in law. And I think expressions of that in community we're seeing it right now. And and it's also a very important aspect of like dealing with the kind of decentering and also the just the sort of division that that we experience and that people are crying out against right now.
1: Sí. Respecto al, al cambio
2: when it comes to the name change, when she changed her name after all the things that happened, maybe it was a you know based on a situation that happened. But it's something that is already past. What what happened is the the season the, the 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 situation. You know, I I went through a war, but that doesn't mean that my life became um, bitter, because I tried to. You, know, you have to enjoy every moment, and and just from changing my name, I'm not gonna take away. what happened? It's not gonna take away what what happened in the war. I try to live happy now. Uh, and that's kind of a part of Mayan culture. And that's why it's so important about the way that we give names to children. Uh, you know, they 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 look for a name that's not like not like the name that, that Noemi gave to her child. So sometimes people will decide to change names of children. Um, so, you know, because names carry a baggage. And so spiritual guides will sometimes tell you if your kid is very sick, They'll say that it's because of his name and, and the day that they were born. And so sometimes they'll change the name so that they may get better. And they do get better.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, there's a powerful history in the Bible about name changes. Uh, especially, I mean, the very first example is Abraham and Sarah changing their names when they uh, follow God out of their home country. So they start off in that story as Abram and Sarai and change their names to Abraham and Sarah. And it's interesting to see in this story that, you know, in a lot of ways, Ruth is making a similar move as Abraham. This, like, you know, Abr- Abram prior to the, his encounter with God is like, you know, a Chaldean living in, you know, ancient Iraq. And, encounters this, this new God that presents themselves to him and then basically makes the same vow that Ruth does. And in that is changed. And yet Mara, you know, Naomi, the, the Jewish person in this text almost is kind of like presenting kind of like the, the other side of that, that the change, this new vow that Ruth makes, you know, the, she's like, the return to this homeland that, that is so important to her people brings about this like intense bitterness for her. And I think part of what this joining, what the story is going to lead us through is how the relationship between Ruth and Naomi ends up filling her back up su- through the sort of continuation or, or the, the creation of opportunity for new life and, and mutual care.
1: First, but I me mean, mm- so
2: for me in terms of pers- in terms of personal stuff I was feeling very bad emotionally physically and um, mentally because I even had to like change my clothing and everything uh, uh, because i was using you know because i i started but but it didn't it didn't it wasn't that big of a deal because i started i, I was able to i'm able to use my traditional clothes and uh, you know, like like you would say, like casual clothes. But when I came to this place, I was fairly, feeling very hurt. So, you know, how people put on themselves this burden because they want to blame themselves for everything. And, and you know, humans come up with all these things and might come up with names to uh, call themselves in those moments. But I started healing little by little. I started coming back to my body. So, so maybe that's how she was feeling. She lost her husband. She lost her children. She decides to separate from her mother-in-law, and and but you know uh, Ruth decides to stay. So sometimes we will be Ruth, sometimes we'll be Noemi. sometimes we decide make decisions like Ortha, the other daughter-in-law. But God always respects our decisions.
0: You have a thought for me, Donna? Mm.
3: Just um
1: processing all of that. Yes. Uh,
2: I just want to add something. You know, um, I came to a place, you know, with the Bible and, you know, with this thing about accepting strangers in the sanctuary. Not just the opening doors through the pastor, but through the members of the congregation, the active ones. And God put them to the test to see if they would uh, take care of a stranger. In that same way, um, God tests our abilities, our knowledge. And to this day, I'm still grateful for the support you're giving. Because I have clothing, I have food. I I was feeling, you know, because I was feeling very hurt. I was feeling very bad. But I started healing little by little with your support. So, you know, God said, maybe God said, you know, if you are praising me, I'm going to put tests on you to test your faith. And he also tested me. He tested to see if I still had faith in him, despite all the things that happened. And I continued believing in him.
1: Mm -hmm. uh, uh,
2: So so that's where we are in this moment. Mm -hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to the People's Commentary on the Book of Ruth. We'll be continuing our conversation with Maria and Donna every Sunday over the next few weeks. And I hope that you will recommend the show to others. Subscribe, like, review. All of that stuff helps us get the word out about this work. It helps us lift Maria's voice. Remember to check out the show notes for more info about Maria's story and how you can support her in her journey to safely live in the United States. And if you're looking for something a little more irreverent, the Magdalene Network also has a talk show called Until We Get Canceled featuring myself, Gary Serbaugh, and Brian Bliss. Um, Finally, if you want to help support the show, share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next Sunday for another episode on the Book of Ruth. Peace.